Hello, hello everyone. Thanks for uh, joining. So uh, for another episode of the .NET on AWS show, um, I'm François Boutrouch. I'm a .NET developer advocate. Um, and this week, um, this is not Brandon Minnick um, hosting the show because Brandon is uh, in Sydney this week for uh, the NDC Sydney conference. So it's definitely not a good time for for him to to be there. So I'm uh, well. Uh, I'm uh, with uh, the amazing James Atham. Uh James, uh, hello. How are you doing? Thank you for having me back on again. This is becoming a very fun, regular occurrence that I get to do on the odd Monday here and there. So yeah, thanks for having me back. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's always a pleasure uh, to have you uh, with us. So uh, really, uh, thank you to to, to be there uh, with the .NET community. Uh, how was your week? My yeah, my week's been okay. It's been um. Been a nice come down after after we were both at NDC a couple of weeks ago. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's been nice to kind of relax back into like my actual job, <laughs> as opposed <laughs> to just being having fun at a conference, speaking to people. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been okay so far. Busy. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, indeed. Uh, the last two weeks uh, we were traveling um, for conferences, so we've been at NDC London, and it was uh, an amazing week uh, at NDC London. Uh, a, a great conference. I love the energy there uh, from the .NET community. Uh, we had a booth. AWS had a booth at the conference. Uh, we met so much people um, uh, using .NET and AWS. Uh, so once again, really a great conference. And uh, James, I, I, you you were lucky. You had a conference at NDC. Uh, what was the topic of your your talk? So my talk at NDC was, so you want to build an event-driven system. So it was a look at event-driven architecture, how you can build event-driven systems, but at a much more conceptual level, I suppose. So there was no AWS services, although we are AWS employees. It was all about event-driven architecture, the benefits that can give you. Um, it was the first time I'd actually done that talk in public. It's one I've been working on for a little while. So it was a lot of fun. Hopefully, it'll be going on tour to Oslo and Porto and Copenhagen, hopefully. Um, if any of the yep. NDC organizers are listening, then hello. <laughs> Please have me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was my first time speaking at NDC. So yeah, it was it was really good fun. Really good audience. Really good questions afterwards. Um, yeah, and what, what was your talk on again? Remind me. Uh, yeah, uh, my talk was about uh, REST-like, um, gRPC, SignalR, and GraphQL, and uh, how to choose a .NET developer, because nowadays we hear a lot of, about those uh, backend API technology, but we don't know, uh, oh, often we don't know how to choose, how to pick one over the other, depending on, on your use case. So um, in this talk, uh, I try to give some hints on how to decide, uh, which is not uh, always has easy because, yeah, it, the, the main answer, it, it depends. So, I try to share with the uh, the audience a uh, decision tree. So it's a very opinionated decision decision tree I've built for myself, and and I share this decision tree. Um, I think it will uh, answer eighty percent of the situation, or, but always you will have twenty percent of the situation where, which are very specific to your use case, and you will have to ask other questions. Um, and last week, I had the pleasure to be uh, also uh, at Stockholm for uh, Sweat Hug. And here again, an amazing .NET uh, conference, uh, a great uh, lineup, speaker lineup, great uh, venue. 
with amazing talk. I had the pleasure to deliver the same talk uh, at Twitter um, and a lot of, of good uh, conversation. Um, uh, I've seen uh, a lot of excitement about um, new release, .NET 8, of course, but also .NET Aspire, um, some excitement around uh, AI coding companion and uh, generative AI technology, uh, a lot of, of buzz about this. Um, that's it for me. And James, I think you told me that you've seen uh, something really cool in the past week in, in the .NET space. Uh, yes, yeah, so off, off the back of my talk at NDC, I started to look a little bit more at building amendment systems. Well, I built amendment systems, but I tried to kind of, I wanted to get a little bit theoretical for a minute and see if you can build an event-driven system inside a monolith. So a monolithic app built modular, modularly. That's not a word, I don't think, but built like a module in a modular fashion. And if you could do fully event-driven communication, which is typically for microservices and, and cross-service communication, but inside a monolith. And when I was doing that, I came across a really cool open source library um, created by Ian Cooper and a few others called Brighter, B-R-I-G-H-T-E-R, Brighter. Um, and it's a really cool way to do that, just to abstract away so much complexity of message-driven systems, underlying implementation details. It's just kind of here, make it work for me. And it just works. It's one of the really cool libraries that just work as soon as you use them. So um, yeah, it's really fun. Um, we maybe said we might get time to look at it later on in the later on in the show, maybe. Yes, uh, of course. Le but let's keep this for the end of the show because before uh, I'd love to uh introduce uh and to welcome uh christopher christu uh chris welcome to the stage uh um so christopher uh is um a software development engineer at aws and today uh we really want um to introduce chris to the .NET community and to our audience because chris is one of the folks who build um tools for .NET developer uh, on AWS, and you, uh, you are building, uh, for example, the AWS toolkit for Visual Studio. So uh, we, will, we really want the .NET community to know about the people who are building the tools for them. So thanks for joining us, uh, Chris, today. Yeah, thank you for and, having me on the show. And as with any guest, I will start with, with the same question. How did you get into IT? Oh boy. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I just, uh, just growing up, you know, I always had, uh, had an interest in computers. Um, you know, uh, growing up, I think just one day I saw a, a book on the shelf. It was GW basic and, and I don't know why, but I pulled it down and flipped through it a little bit and kind of thought, I think I could write a program. And, you know, it's that you start obviously with something like 10 print hello world. And, and next thing you know, you're, you're doing prompting and rolling rolling random numbers and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it just kind of just kind of went from there. Yeah. Um, so today you're working for the AWS Toolkit team. Uh, how did you get there? What is your journey in, in, in the IT industry? Or did you even get in at AWS? Or did you join AWS? It may, um, some people may be interested in how you, how did you get there? Yeah. Um, well, let's go, we'll go back a little bit. We'll go, we'll go a little bit of the, uh, <laughs> the career journey. Um, so yeah, I used to work at, uh, at a video game studio and I was doing internal, um, internal tooling at the time. And, um, 
there was a lot of uh, you know a lot of graphical tools, but we were doing um, C plus plus development. So I think it was MFC based um, editors and stuff like that. And um, at one point, there was an opportunity. There was a, a new small program that we needed to make. Again, internal tooling. And uh, I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to try uh, try this C sharp thing out and, and make a WinForms app. And and today it's it's kind of comical if if I was to find that code and see it today because it was the equivalent of trying to write C plus plus style code in in .NET. Um, see, so, you know things like uh, a for each. You know, it's like oh, I, I wasn't aware of some of these things, but as um, you know, as, as I started to learn more, and I kind of thought, wow, this is this is really cool. This is a uh, with .NET WinForms. This was just a really quick way of putting together. GUIs and and getting functionality together, and so I started to learn more and more about uh, .NET and apply that to to future work and tooling. But um, over the years, then I switched uh, switched team and started working on backend uh, online services uh, systems. And we were at the time we were working in I think it was .NET Core two point one and three point one. It was right around when three point one came out. Um, and you know, starting to prop up some backend services, um, the the manager of the team kind of said, "Hey, I would like everybody to learn about AWS. Uh, just just get a little bit immersed, like test the waters." And he said, "He said, um, you know, hey, just you know, don't don't stress about a timeline, but just think about this. Like, hey, how would you how would you store a file somewhere?" And it was basically that simple challenge as a as a way of um, letting us go explore without any kind of intimidation. And so it's like, okay, I'll try this out. And so, you know, look up a little bit of details about the, the .NET SDK, uh, or sorry, the AWS SDK for .NET, and just at a light, uh, at, a, at, a, at a high level, just what are the AWS services? And, you know, the punchline, and I think our manager was was expecting this, but, you know, the punchline is, you know, I pulled this down, I added through about three lines of code, and next thing I know, I'm storing content in an S3 bucket. And, you know, it was kind of, you know, that, that kind of gets, is a nice, easy on-ramp, which is pretty cool. So as we started writing, um, you know, writing our formal backend services, um, you know, getting that immersion both into .NET and, uh, and AWS, um, uh, you know, at that point I did see there was an opportunity, uh, for this team that I'm on right now, the toolkit. And I kind of thought, gee, the .NET is interesting. AWS is interesting. Hey, there's a role that kind of fuses both of them. So I thought, well, let's uh, let's put my hat in the ring and see uh, see what happens. And and uh, <laughs> yeah, now I'm working on the AWS Toolkit for Visual Studio. Yeah, that's amazing. So j- just just try. Don't don't be shy. Just try, uh, and it may uh, give you the best. Um, amazing, amazing uh, uh, Um and. What is the coolest feature you, you work on uh, uh, during those years working on the AWS toolkits? What, what is the feature you, you really loved and you, you're proud of building? Well, it's, it's very recent, um, and it is the, the, the code whisperer integration. Um, so you and I did a presentation at reInvent just a couple of months ago about that. And, um, you know, I was on a team working on, on integrating that into Visual Studio for, for a couple of months leading up to reInvent. But, uh, you know, just, but there, there was a lot I really liked about that project. Um, and not because it's the most recent one, but, you know, kind of some of the, some of the architectural decisions we put under the hood behind the scenes to, to bring it together. And just the feature itself is, is pretty cool and interesting. So 
yeah, that's that's definitely uh, one of my favorites. Yeah. So for for, for those who don't know, um, uh, Amazon Code Whisperer is uh, Amazon AI coding companion. So uh, basically, when you start typing uh, in Visual Studio, you get suggestion based on uh, what you are working on, based on the context of your uh, open file, and uh, it will uh, complete your code, or it can help you to write your uh, code comment, for example. Um, so that's basically uh, what you can get from uh, Code Whisperer. Um, and it also has a, a nice uh, feature regarding um, regarding uh, open source. M maybe you, you can um, explain, Christopher, uh, for, to the audience. Um, right, and that's the that's the reference tracking you're asking about, yeah. right? Yeah, um, yeah. This is this is pretty interesting because when you when you're prompting or even as you're as you're coding, because sometimes Code Whisperer will jump in with helpful suggestions. Um, uh, you know, it, these all of these suggestions are coming from uh, you know from a model trained on on a lot of source. So Code Whisperer is keeping track of what you know what kind of what code bases it's it's getting that inspiration from, and so if it's generating for you um, a suggestion that's based on a certain a certain set of code that had a specific uh, um, uh, license, um, you'll also get that uh, you'll get that indication. Like it will say, "Hey, by the way, this this suggestion is uh, associated with this particular license," and you can get a link to the to the upstream open source repo. That contains that license and and also had that uh, sample code that's that's similar to the suggestion being made. Yeah, and um, um, yeah, and that that is called reference tracking. And in in any of the toolkits, there's there's a concept called the reference log. And so from from your particular code whisper gestures or menus, you'll be able to access that to see the the back history of of any of the suggestions you've accepted and see which which uh, licenses are referenced with it. Yeah. So let's take the time to 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 ask a question because because we we are discussing the AWS toolkit. So mm -hmm. the AWS toolkit for Visual Studio is uh, a plugin to Visual Studio 2022. But there are um, other uh, other um, toolkit out there. We have toolkit for VS Code. We have toolkit for JetBrains IDE. So what I would love uh, is to uh, ask our audience. So. Let's be clear. Today, it's it is a test. It is a first try. So people, do, I, I may fail with this. So uh, I'm trying this uh, this poll. Uh, we have a new tooling that uh, um, uh, helps you uh, help us to poll uh, our audience. Uh, so um, here is the question: uh, Which AWS toolkit do you use? So uh, people, um, you can answer in the chat. Just. So if you don't use the AWS Toolkit, any AWS Toolkit, you just uh, type one in the chat. If you use the AWS Toolkit for uh, Visual Studio Code, uh, you uh, you can type two. Um, and uh, the if you are using the AWS Toolkit for Visual Studio 2022, you can type three. And if you are using the AWS Toolkit for JetBrains IDEs, you can type four. Just so just uh, type. The number, um, if you and you can type several number if you uh, uh, use multiple toolkits. So uh, I will vote on myself uh, because I'm using the toolkit. Uh, oh, I messed up. I'm using <laughs> the 
the three and four. I'm using for Visual Studio and for JetBrains because I'm also using the toolkit uh, for Gen JetBrains uh, Rider. Uh, and if you if you want to vote, uh, let us know. Um, so you can continue to vote uh, for for this in the chat. Uh, it will uh, help us to 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 be informed on uh, what you are using. Uh, so let's see. Uh, let's let's keep this uh, poll uh, running and let's see if people are uh, uh, which um, which toolkit people use. Um, coming back uh, to, to to the toolkit, Chris, you b just before the show, you tell us you you re recently released uh, a new feature regarding um, identity. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about this uh, new feature? Yeah, uh, just last week we released version 1.47 of the AWS Toolkit for Visual Studio. Um, we've got a couple of new, a uh, couple of bug fixes and, and improvements. And uh, yeah, one of them is around auth because um, you know getting getting your credentials squared away is it can can be a bit uh, confusing at times. And you know we're always looking for ways to make that easier. But um, when you're when you're doing um, when you're using c credentials that uh, that require an SSO login flow, you know there's a little bit of interaction that that the tooling needs from you, and and that's for secure purposes. But um, it can be a bit uh, confusing, so we've we've made that a little bit streamlined. Um, I've I've actually got this ready here. If uh, if you'd like to see a demo of it, yeah, sure, sure. L All right, let me share my screen. And let's see which window it's going to bring up. Okay, so let's add this to the stage. Okay. Um, and so what we're looking at, just some arbitrary code here, but um, again, quickly touching on Code Whisperer because that's where the login is that I'm going to show. Um, Code Whisperer is, is uh, currently I'm logged out to Code Whisperer, but it's available through this uh, margin uh, icon down here. And there's a couple of ways you can you can sign in. If you've already set up your your credentials and handling, um, you, you know you can jump right into the sign in dialogue and pick your uh, pick your credentials profile and go ahead. And if you haven't, we have this easy to use getting started uh, panel here. And there's two different ways you can uh, connect to code whisper. Um, one, you might have your AWS Identity Center or SSO uh, set up within an AWS account, and if you have that connected to Code Whisperer, that's one way you can you can set up um, set up a sign in. And if you don't, or if you don't have an AWS account, you can use an AWS Builder ID, and that lets you create a or that's a a free personal identification account you can create, and uh, it's not tied inherently to an AWS account, but it lets you sign into services like Code Whisperer. And that's what I'm going to show here. Um, either way, you're going to go through an SSO login flow, but um, this, in this case, is going to be with the builder ID. And so the really cool thing is um, we've we set it up so that uh, it's it's pretty straightforward. Before this, you had to copy a code, paste it in the browser. Here, we're just making it very prominent. And when you connect over, I got it in the other window here. You know, you're basically just doing that uh, that matching to say, okay, make sure these codes match, and um, that way you know it's coming from the toolkit. 
Now I'm already signed in in the browser to my builder ID, but if you weren't, it would take you through that login. And then basically it's just going to ask, hey, can uh, can we connect this AWS token for Visual Studio to your account to do Code Whisper? And once that goes through, that's it. We're now connected. And if I come back here, we can see we're now indeed signed in. And I can go ahead and request suggestions from uh, Code Whisper. Okay, so 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 d- just a quick question. So you you mean that um, any developer, any C sharp developer, any Visual Studio user can just sign in with a builder ID, which basically is create a builder ID with their personal email address, for example, for free. They don't need AWS accounts, but yet they can still uh, use uh, Code Whisperer. So they don't have to set up a whole AWS account, put their credit card, and so on and so on. They just have to sign up uh, with uh, AWS Builder ID, correct? Yep, that's right. Yeah, that, that's really cool because uh, that's really something for developers. Uh, you don't have, if you, if you don't want to deploy on AWS, you can still uh, use and benefit from the, the code whisper. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and what's neat about that too is that's um, kind of like they mentioned here in the documents. It's um, this is basically your account that's you, um, as opposed to if you had, say, an enterprise account or or your whole company is is using one or a few AWS accounts. You know, you might be in a in a pool with a couple of different people in the same account. But yeah, this one this one's you that that kind of follows you around, just like a, just like um, you would on a on source control repos and stuff like that. Yeah, and um, just to share with uh, folks there, uh, you can use your AWS Builder ID on other uh, AWS services like uh, Code Catalyst, which is our uh, software factory. So you can uh, create a, a Code Catalyst uh, project and uh, have a Git repository in this project just with the Builder ID. Uh, you can also connect to community.aws or community platform uh, where you can um, you can uh, um, um, read content written by the AWS community, um, and you can even write your own content on community.aws and publish your own content uh, on uh, on technical stuff that you want to share with the community. So the builder ID is definitely becoming the this personal ID uh, between uh, you and AWS and uh, uh, your one-stop shop when you want to log in uh, with AWS services that don't require uh, an AWS account. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Yeah, there's a couple of other features I did want to uh, uh, mention here. So when you have the toolkit installed, it's really easy for you to send a quick feedback over to, to me and the team. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, this is a way you can just tell us, you know, hey, you have an idea or you, you like or don't like a certain aspect of the toolkit. And the team reads all of these. So this is a really quick and easy way to, um, to let us know how you're feeling and, you know, what are your thoughts around the toolkit. So one of the, um, one of the sets of feedback we've been getting recently does relate to Code Whisper that, um, some people are a little bit, uh, you know they're a little bit hesitant. They say, you know, I'm I'm not quite ready to to use Code Whisper yet or try it out. But I see that it it tells me that Code Whisper is there. Is there a way for me to turn it off? And you know, by default, you are signed up, so it is off. But you know, you can see the the icon there and stuff. 
So we have we have made a, a setting so that you can wholesale disable it. And that's if you go through the menu, there's this um where is it? the options here. And that'll bring you to the code whisperer configuration. And here you can basically turn the entire uh, feature set off by just toggling that and clicking OK. And then, you know, you can always bring it back at a later time if you wanted to. You can go through the, the Visual Studio options, come back down and turn it back on. So you know, that'll, that'll basically fully remove it or fully uh, make it available into your IDE. And uh, one other one we got through feedback was um, proxy support. Um, and this is more... I think this is more likely for enterprise uh, enterprise teams, and um, we didn't. Uh, yeah, that's that, that that's a nightmare when you work in an enterprise company. Often you have to deal with these proxies that mess everything. That's a nightmare. Yeah, oh, I, you can just do this. No, I can't. There is this proxy that mess that mess everything. <laughs> yeah, even. I mean, even sometimes local development gets uh, gets impacted by something like that, right? So yeah, you you always have to be aware. But um, yeah, the, with the most recent uh, version of the toolkit, you can now configure your proxy settings. You'll have to restart your IDE. Um, these settings aren't picked up directly by the toolkit. Uh, but yeah, then then uh, you should be able to also get your your suggestions and everything from Code Whisperer. Uh, using your proxies, so yeah, that's all new in the in the most recent uh, version. Yeah, I, I've seen something really cool because you you did presences like, oh, this is uh, just something to send feedback. But uh, to me, that's really important because this is where we connect the dot with the uh, with our, the .NET community. So you've seen Christopher showing this send feedback. So Christopher is one of the person who will read those feedback. So this is not a myth. There is a, there is someone behind the scene reading those feedback, and Christopher is one of them. So if you j just bear in mind that if you send feedback, this guy is likely uh, will likely read your feedback. So this is not uh, a black hole. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, real. So, because as a developer, I'm always wondering when uh, I send feedback, is there any, is there anyone at the other part of the line or, and <laughs> yeah, so today we have Chris, he's part of, of the team. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is actually one of my favorite parts of the day. Like I start my day and if I see an email coming in that says somebody left a feedback, you know, I'm immediately curious. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see what, uh, what somebody has, has written in here. So. Yeah, we, we love receiving the feedback regardless of, of what it is in there. Yeah, amazing. Um, that's, that's really cool. Uh, maybe I ask a question, and I don't want to push you uh, to, to say something that you can't, because I know. Um, what, what, what are the plans for... Um, is there some part of the roadmap that you you can share with us, or what what are the big topic you are working on for for the toolkit in in the coming months? Um, yeah, actually, right now we're we're there. There are a few more code whisper or um, Amazon Q features that we're we're looking to uh, to bring into the AWS toolkit for Visual Studio. Um, so one example of a feature that's currently in the AWS toolkits for JetBrains and VS Code, but isn't in the Visual Studio toolkit yet, is um, 
um, code scanning. So this is a this is a feature where you can have Code Whisperer take a look more holistically at your uh, project and uh, tell you about um, known vulnerabilities or warnings, um, uh, potential flaws, and um, yeah, having kind of that AI assisted, uh, you know, even more AI assisted guidance. Um, and so yeah, this is something we're we're actively working on, and. Um, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, to releasing that in a future version. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I wonder if I could come back, Chris, just to the with you talking about the um, back to when you were getting started with AWS and you were talking about like downloading the SDK and the three lines of code. Yeah, and I think I'm, I'd be interested to know, like you said, that your manager at the time gave you like free reign just to go and build things, which is what everybody wants. But like, what kind of things did you go and build at the time? Because I think at least when I speak to people there can be this thing like, okay, I want to get started with AWS, but what do I do? So I'd be really interested to learn more about what exactly, like what what were you actually building back at that time to explore the AWS SDK? Because that might give some of the listeners some ideas of things. Oh, I could go and build that. I could go and try that out. It was a really good way to get started with, with AWS. Yeah. Um, now those, those challenges were actually like very... Uh, and deliberately uh, simple, but but deceptive too. So he, he basically asked the two questions like, Hey, try and store something somewhere, and and you know the intent was to to discover S three, and the other one was, hey, write a message somewhere that you can pick up somewhere else, and that was um, essentially using SQS queues and, and SNS topics, and um, and uh, yeah, so there you know it was there there wasn't like a write an application in the challenge, but it was just kind of like learn about some of the parts that you would use to stitch something together. And then, I think that's, uh, that's a really interesting way of looking at it, though, isn't it? Like, you know, many applications need to store data in places. And I think, at least from my experience, before I started working with AWS, a lot of the time you're just using, like, your local file system, right? Or, like, some some attached drive to a server somewhere. So, actually, and I find when I work with customers now, they'll be new to AWS, and they'll be like, oh, where's my file system? It's like, well, there isn't a file system. It's called <laughs> S3. S3 is your file system. And then it's a different way. You're not, you know, you're not writing to C slash or F slash or whatever you're, so I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Like, okay, I need to pass messages between systems. What do I use? I need to store data. What do I use? I need to store files. What do I use? So I actually think that's a really interesting angle of coming at learning about some of these services as opposed to needing to build an entire application and try and boil the ocean to use the... to use the. Yeah, but you know what else? Like something I wish I knew then that I knew now was exactly these AWS toolkits. Like I didn't actually know about them at the time. And so if I... If I was reading about S3 and these SQS queues, I mean, with with the toolkit, you can actually go and create a bucket, put some content in it. You can you can make a queue and put messages in it, and you know that that would have really helped. Um, well, partly visualize, I guess, but like understand and just see the services working right. And like, I, I, if I was to do that again, or if I was to be the manager, I probably would have said, "Here, and try using this toolkit with it mm-hmm. because it'll really like." make it really easy to understand what's going on while uh, while going on that discovery journey. Yeah, I wonder if you could show us that, because there's something you can do in the toolkit, right, is you can show, you can see all of the resources currently in the AWS account that you're logged into, right? I'm, I'm sure I remember seeing that when I've used the toolkit before. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's a great question. Um, so from the view menu, there is this uh, AWS Explorer, and that's how you can bring up this um, nice. uh, this view here. And so, yeah, we have a panel that will show you when you're connected to an account, there is there's a, a selection of services that will show you the resources available in your account. 
And for some of them, you can actually do um, you can actually do like creation and stuff as well. So if I was to go through, let's take the SQSQs since uh, since I mentioned that, um, you know, I can see what's in my account here, and um, I can also go and create one. So I'll just uh, we'll set up a, a one here. So we're in uh, we're doing a demo. Um, you know, and this is where, as you're reading the, the documentation, there's, there's different parameters you can use to customize your queue. Um, and so seeing those options there is great. But then I can go and, uh, open this up. And, um, so from here, yeah, here I now have, uh, an SQS queue in my uh, account and I can go and, uh, send a new message to it. You know, you've actually taught me something today, Chris, because I did not know you could... I know you could invoke Lambda functions. I did not know you could put messages in SQS queues. So there you are. This is a learning experience for all. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, then I can I can go and sample the sample the queues. Now in here, you know, you do need to... You do need to understand a little bit about some of the services. Um, this, will, this will mutate your resource in a sense, like the act of looking at the resource. The, the queue now knows that, but it's pretty quickly putting it back in but yeah we can see here yeah. what message in there and i could now go and write an application that consumes this message if i if i were so inclined but uh uh yeah and so to me that, that that that's really great because as a developer if i have access to an aws account for development purpose of course you, you don't want to mix two aws accounts uh in one aws account production environment and dev environment but if if i'm given a, an aws account for my dev environment so I basically can basically can spin up quickly a queue and start to use it in my code, make some tests. I don't have to ask for someone, hey, can you set up a, a queue messaging system on the server somewhere? I can just do it right from my ID and start building and start uh, experimenting without relying on someone else. So for, for rapid prototyping, I, I love this. Yeah. Um... Yeah, one of my favorites is S3. Um, and I have a lot of buckets in here, but, um, uh, where's my go to? Yeah. I mean, one of the important things to, to remember, like S3 isn't file storage. It's actually object like blob storage, but you know, a lot of what we're doing is files. And one of my favorite things about this is you can actually just take files and drag them in and that will upload them. Right. So that's, that's just a really quick way of getting say a configuration file or something in there that you can bootstrap for your program and then similarly you can go and download uh, files and collection the files locally from from your bucket as well yeah so cool like you said francois in terms of like prototyping that i'm very much a fan of like infrastructure as code and doing things properly in inverted commas when you're like you know in production but like you say for quickly okay i need an s3 bucket and the queue and a lambda function to do all that from within the the IDE and then be able to deploy that, invoke that, put messages into the queue, upload files. It's a really, really cool way of being able to prototype really quickly. Yeah, that's, I agree. That's sometimes, I don't know how, how, how you work, but um, I'm kind of, before uh, starting a project or when I start a project, I need to figure out what are the parts I will use. So I need to prototype, otherwise I, I, I have difficulty to design my application. So I need to get my hand dirty and prototype. And this is in those situations where I want to be very quick that I love using those features to, to have rapid, quickly a queue, a, a S3 bucket. And then, okay, I get a sense of, okay, this is what I, I will build. No, let's, li like you said, James, let's start building this pr the right way with infrastructure as code. But 
in my way of doing things, this is really a two-part process. First, I need to figure out by with rapid prototyping what I, I want to build, how I want to build this, and then I need to build it the proper way. So both both of the world. Because if I'm correct, uh, you also have CloudFormation support uh, for infrastructure as code, uh, Chris, in, in the toolkit. Yeah, that's right. Um, so you can you can create and deploy CloudFormation templates, and um, not only that, once once they're in here, you can get a view of your um, stack. So this was, um, if I'm not mistaken, this was the stack we deployed in our reInvent talk, and you can actually see some of the aspects, um, the, some of the same details that you can from the web console without leaving your IDE. Um, so here you can see if you're creating or updating your stack, the individual resources, like the progress that's going on. But you can also see what, what resources are in your stack as well. Um, and you can see the entire uh, template that was published into your account. So that's, uh, that's super convenient. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm assuming this would show you errors as well, right, Chris? If the if the if the deployment was to fail, you would see the the errors inside your IDE as well. Oh yeah, and and definitely, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I I hit that from time to time with with various stacks, and and it's it's great because then you get that reason right there, right? So you can you can again stay within your IDE, but also uh, uh, keep in that iterative loop to. Uh, and that, uh, yeah, that's something I'm finding as I'm starting to use more and more like AI coding companions personally. It's something I'm finding super valuable, like that ability to not even just like switching to a new tab or to a new window just being able to do everything inside your IDE is such a I've never really appreciated it as much before because I've always been like a stack overflow go and hit Google kind of guy and yeah. then actually now that oh god I said Google and now my speakers are listening to me um, <laughs> um yeah like being able to do everything within your IDE is super cool like explaining code I'm learning Rust at the minute so I can be like can you explain this piece of code to me inside the IDE and it's just a really nice experience to be able to do everything inside the IDE and being able to see cloud formation templates and see how they deploy is super, super cool as well, especially if you're using the CDK or SAM or something like that to deploy your application, which uses cloud formation under the hood. You can then do all that within your IDE without even leaving this single pane of glass. So yeah, super cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Chris, I know, I, I know you 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 have to jump. We, we've discussed a lot. Uh, I know you you have to jump, uh, and so uh, I think we we are on time for you you to leave. Um, I, I really want to thank you uh, joining today. While while you have um, uh, a pack agenda, a pack schedule, um, uh, I really appreciate you to to, to join us to join the .NET community. Uh, uh, because I think it's important for people to figure out, okay, those are the person who are building um, uh, uh, those services, those tools for us. Uh, it's, to me, having this connection between, uh, okay, I'm using this, and those guys are building those tools. It's, it's always a good thing. Um, this is not, is not a, a huge monster without any heads, no. Uh, both are uh, actual folks uh, who are building uh, those tooling. So th thank you, Chris, for uh, being with us today. Um, and uh, um, uh, I guess, I guess uh, we've already signed uh, for a, a next episode with you uh, when you, 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 you will have relieved the few features you, you've mentioned uh, in the roadmap. Am I right? Yes. Um, so yeah, thank you for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to coming back at a later date and showcasing all the 
all the great new features we'll have at the time. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Uh, and and uh, see, you, see you soon. Um, so uh, today we, we will close the, the, the show today uh, together, gents. Um, and so I will want to come back with, on your uh, uh, library you mentioned at the beginning of the show. Uh, it's time. Uh, uh, it's time for us uh, to to see this library in action, if, if you can. Yeah, we certainly have me here. So yeah, like I said, the um, the library that I've been using is is called Brighter. Um, hopefully, you should be able to see it on the screen now. Um, there's other libraries in the .NET space that do a similar kind of thing. There's Mass Transit. Um, there is another one which names um, and Skip Service. Uh, yeah. Yes, in Service Plus, yeah. Um, but this is one I'd, you know, I'll just kind of pick one that I've not used before. I've used Mass Transit before. So I started working with Brighter. Um, and it's actually really, really cool because it has, um, if I go to samples, it has some really cool um, pre-built implementations for a, a whole bunch of different like messaging providers. So you can see you've got like SQS and SNS. You've got Kafka, you've got SQL Server, you've got RabbitMQ, DynamoDB. You've got all these different pre-built implementations to allow you to really quickly add messaging to your application, which is really, really fun because anything that makes your life easier is, is fantastic. Um, and when it comes to... <clears throat> excuse me. Let me... Let's start with me actually demonstrating what it is that I built. So I started building out, as I said at the start, like a bit more of a theoretical application, maybe not something you'd really do in the real world, but if you could do fully asynchronous, non-blocking communication inside a monolithic application. So what I ended up building was this really simple Blazor front-end and a web API back-end. Please excuse my UI skills because I am not a UI developer. My brother's a graphic You designer. are a back-end, no offense, but you are a back-end developer. I 100% a back very much a back-end developer, like front-end terrifies me. Um, so this is very much like AI-generated images and materialized CSS UIs and just kind of look at the buttons. I mean, look at how, look how horrible them buttons are. They're awful. Like, nobody wants to click a button that looks like that. But anyway, the point stands. So this is a front-end that's going to make a call to an API back-end application, and the API is completely non-blocking. So it will receive the request and immediately respond and then everything else happens asynchronously in the background. So you'll see if I add some stuff to my basket, you can see the basket increasing at the bottom here. This is all happening completely asynchronously, completely message-driven, eventually consistent. And because it's so performant, it appears to be real-time, although it isn't. And I can prove that to you because the other really cool thing about Brighter is that it has built-in implementation um, support for open telemetry and distributed tracing. So as part of oh. this application, I've also got Jaeger running locally. Um, Jaeger is a open telemetry compatible tracing backend, so you can see all the traces for all them button yeah. clicks that I've just done. Ma here. Martin Ma Martin Swaith would love to, you, would like your 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 demo yeah. here. Shout out to Martin. Yeah, Martin, if you're watching, <laughs> this is for you. <laughs> um, and you can actually see this in the trace data here. So if I, I've actually gone into one of the traces for me posting a request to my basket. And you see, I've got a 340 millisecond response there. And then I've got a big gap. And then I've got a 500 millisecond response at the back end there. And that gap there is the time the message was sat in the queue. 
So my, my API responded in 340 milliseconds and then my actual backend storing in the database, doing other downstream stuff happened in a background thread, still inside this monolithic application, but it's asynchronous, it's non-blocking. So this front-end performance is really, really fast because it just gets the data, stores it, gets the data, stores it. Let's have a look at some code, shall we? Um, so wow. sure. the actual libraries, if I just open up my project file, you see I've got a whole bunch of brighter libraries here. Um, I've got support for dependency injection, for um, supporting SQS. So when this is running locally, it's using RabbitMQ and locally on my machine. So support for so RabbitMQ just here. A, just a quick question, Jens. So I mm -hmm. guess, and that's the part uh, in general I love, it comes with opinionated implementation. Like, okay, um, if I want to use AWS SQS, it's an opinionated implementation. You don't have to care about how it works under the hood. Exactly that, yeah. And how it actually works is it uses SNS and SQS. It uses a combo. So the actual message send uses SNS. And then when okay. you define a subscriber in your application code, and I'll show you that in a second, it automatically creates the SQS queue and maps the SQS queue to the SNS topic. So it does all that on your behalf. It does it all that for you. It's really, really cool. Um, yeah, that, that's what I love with this kind of library sometimes. It's, it's, it is opinionated because sometimes it's nice to have a lot of building blocks, but sometimes you just want to get straight to the point and, okay, I want to build this. I don't want to spend too much time about uh, thinking about how I want, how I should configure this. And that's the good part of those libraries. Yeah, absolutely. So you see, if I just show you the code structure very quickly, so I've got my API, that's the actual you know, really thin minimal API in .NET. And then I've got my four modules, one for orders, one for the menu, one for the loyalty points, one for the basket. If anyone's heard me talk before, I love talking about pizza, hence the pizza restaurant analogy. Please bear with me. I'm really sorry if it's like dinner time or lunchtime, wherever you are, because um, I might just have really distracted you. <laughs> um, <laughs> inside my basket module, I've got these extension methods um, to actually add these subscriptions. So you can see I've got... Um, these add subscriptions here. So when I'm using SQS, I just create a list of SQS subscriptions, and then I just add a new SQS subscription. I give the subscription a name. I give the message channel a name, and then I define which message, which kind of message I want to subscribe to. So what this will do under the hood when I actually start up this application is it will create an SQS queue called basket add item to basket. And then it will also subscribe that to a topic with the name of, if my F12 decides it wants to work, with the topic name of a command that I've defined elsewhere in the application. So it's you just create these subscriptions and Brighter will then automatically go off and actually create the queues on your behalf, which is really cool. Yeah, definitely. And then the same applies to the publish. So you also need to define things that you're going to publish. So this basket module has two two messages that it publishes. One is a basket, basket item added event. One is a basket item removed event. And I'm following the same pattern of defining um, the name for the topic, which is basket, basket item added. And again, at startup, 
Brighter will automatically go off and create SNS topics in this instance with the names of my events. If I'm using RabbitMQ, it creates RabbitMQ topics and RabbitMQ queues, but you know, it creates the relevant infrastructure. You don't need to care, frankly. <laughs> Which That's is pretty cool. Really kind of cool. Um, oh, and how so this this is the configuration at startup. And how do you use this um, in, in, in your code? Great question, Francois. Um, so if I now look at um, the, let's start with commands. This is, it's broadly speaking, adopt, you adopt a CQRS kind of pattern, command query responsibility segregation for anyone who's never heard of CQRS. That's the idea of splitting your commands from your queries. So commands are things that might mutate your system. Queries are where you're retrieving data. Typically in CQRS, you would split them into two completely independent deployable applications. We're kind of doing a form of CQRS here inside a monolithic application, I suppose. Um, so what you need to do is create a class, and that class inherits from this command um, command base class, and that command class comes from the brighter library. Okay. So when you inherit from command, you can then publish this, this message, this class, as a command. So that's step one. You define a set of commands or events in your application. So I've got commands and I've also got um, events. Okay. Okay. You can then also define command handlers. So I've got a second class here that inherits, if I scroll right over, this is a request handler for the add item to basket command, which is the command we've just looked at. So you create your commands, you create your command handlers, and Brighter kind of just does the rest. <laughs> it kind of just works, like genuinely. As long as you've set up the right subscriptions and publications and you create your command and you create your command handler, Brighter just does it. It, it kind of just works. It's really cool. Um, it kind of all just links together. So that's the core of it is you define commands, you define command handlers, you create your subscriptions as part of your startup code and the rest gets mapped together. That's pretty cool. The so, final so you don't have to write the, the boilerplate code to send uh, the method and retry the method. And exactly. All, all, the, all the things that are done for you. Okay. 100%. It's all, yep, that's all, all the retries. Because even when you, if you look, um, if I go back to these extension methods, you'll notice when I set up the publications, for example, there's a yep. whole load of different settings that I can set up here. Uh, when I do the subscriptions, you can do things like, um, you can set them to be like durable message channels or non-durable message channels. That might be a, yes, yeah, so you've got an is durable property. You can configure retries, you can configure backoffs, like you can configure all of that stuff that you would. And then that that's really interesting because the pattern I've got here with this specific application is that when I run it locally, I want to use RabbitMQ because RabbitMQ is really easy to spin up locally. And then when I deploy yeah. it to AWS, I want to use SNS and SQS because they're managed services. They're scalable. I don't need to worry about the underlying infrastructure. And it allows you to use the exact same programming model. And then you just sub out your messaging implementation, but you don't actually really change an awful lot of application code. Your application code just stays the same and brighter just manages the rest. So it's super, super cool. And one last thing I will add really quickly, Francois, sorry. Yeah. is oh, sure. when you actually want to publish. So the last part of this is this is my actual endpoint on my API. And you see, I've got this I am a command processor, really great name for an interface, by the way. Um, big fan of that. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I just do command processor dot post async. And that's what will actually then, that's how you send a command. You send a message. And because I've configured this all to be asynchronous, that call will return as soon as the message is successfully delivered to RabbitMQ or SQS or whatever it happens to be. As soon as that message gets delivered, that code returns. And that's how I get that really fast response time in my API. And I shove all that back end, that, that, that more time-consuming work into a background worker process. Um, yeah. It also supports things like inbox patterns and outbox patterns. So you can just say, use outbox and then use DynamoDB as your outbox. And for anyone who's unfamiliar with the outbox pattern, that's the idea of storing a message in a persistent location. And then the actual publish to the message bus happens again as a background process to make things more fault tolerant. Um, so it just supports all these really cool messaging patterns and you just turn them on and they just kind of work, which is amazing if you ask me. Um, yeah. Yeah, I love, yeah. I love this. Oh, library. Yeah, uh, uh, definitely. I love this. Uh, you, you mentioned, so have you, I've always, uh, that's maybe the difficult question. You mentioned mass transit. There is a bunch of other libraries that are. Why would you use this one over the, uh, the other? If you, ha if you have an idea, maybe it's kind of preference or. So my, my honest answer to this question is that I've used mass transit for projects before and it's fantastic. I've never used Brighter before and I wanted to give Brighter a try. Like I've not. I've not found anything yet with Brighter that would make me say I choose Brighter over Mass Transit. They're both amazing libraries. They're both fantastic. Um, I can't remember what the support was like in Mass Transit in terms of services. I know SQS is supported by Mass Transit. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I couldn't say one over the other. My reason for picking this is partly because I watched Ian Cooper, who built the library, speak at NDC. So I was like, ah, Ian's got a messaging library and I've never used it. So I wanted to try it and it's fantastic. Um, mass transit yeah. is equally as good when I've used mass transit in the past. Yeah, I, I've seen. Uh, we were discussing. Uh, we were talking about um, Martin uh, a bit before, and I've seen recently a, a post of Martin Twaith uh, on LinkedIn, uh, and I, I was so agree with him. When you when you are choosing a library, always find someone before choosing a library. Always find someone who has run something in production with it. Uh, to make sure that it it fits your needs, um, uh, we 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 can find many many great libraries. Uh, like, like you do, it's in gems. You you run a mass transit application before, so um, you have a a point about mass transit in production. Maybe not the same for for um, writer, but yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think an important point actually that I'm sure Martin agree with is this this observability factor. Like, yeah. So I'm just configuring OpenTelemetry in my .NET application. And I just add a source to OpenTelemetry and I add a source of paramore.brighter, which is the namespace that all these brighter implementations are in. <coughs> Excuse me. And I've, I've not really configured anything else as far as tracing is concerned. And I just get all of this for, for free. Like I just get distributed tracing, which is so important when you're building distributed systems is to have this ability to um you know observe and understand what's going on inside your application it's incredibly yeah. important to get that built in is is really powerful yeah and i guess uh in the future uh, checking if a library has built-in support for open telemetry will be um kind of okay you don't have <laughs> 
Let's yeah, look at the next ubiquitous. Like I think it's the number two, if not now nearly the number one project on the CNCF Open Telemetry. Like it's it's becoming the de facto standard for observability everywhere. Yeah. So I think I think both if you're building an application to not have open telemetry support in your own application is something that is it should be considered at least. And then yeah, if, if you're looking at a library and you want that tracing support. It, it, for me at least personally it would be a, a decision factor is that can i add tracing through this library yes i can fantastic get it in there yeah um great great, great library to to showcase to the community um i'd love to ask a, a last question to the audience we we have three minutes left so um i'd love to see uh How many people um, have already tried Amazon Code Whisperer or Amazon Q or AI Coding Companion? Uh, so feel free to uh, to um, vote in the chat. So like the previous uh, 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 poll, uh, one for I never try, two if you've already tried, three if you use them from time to time, four if you use them regularly. Or five, if you use another AI coding uh, assistant. Uh, so this polygon county is really cool, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And uh, feel free to, to, to vote uh, in the chat. Uh, give us some insight. And it's important for us to, to get to know uh, you and what, what tutorial are you trying. So don't be shy. Please vote in the chat uh, and uh, it will help us. So... It's it's time to close uh, the show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank thank you, James, for being uh, with us today. Uh, um, if you don't want, to, we have another show every other uh, Monday. So if you don't want to miss uh, the show, uh, subscribe to uh, the AWS uh, Twitch channel, uh, and uh, don't miss the next episode in two weeks. And you can find uh, the the episode. Uh, also uh, soon uh, on most uh, audio podcast platform as we leave the, uh, the episode as an audio podcast as well. So thanks for uh, joining us and uh, see you uh, the other Monday.